Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. We are just going to do a quick little dirty episode today um, because we are kind of needing to get this out right now. Uh, and it is Monday and we're going to release it Monday. The main thing that happened over the weekend was the PTO European Championship and Ironman 70.3 St. George North American Championship. And all of us kind of having a bit of good days, bad days, awesome I mean, the last week was crazy with Colin Butthole Chartier stuff, and we got Jackson on the phone right now, and he's going to kind of weigh in on kind of St. George. But before we get there, Jack, what's uh, what's the old situation with PTO Euro Open? Well, we saw some pretty pretty epic racing. Well, unfortunately, we didn't get to watch it because we were sleeping in the middle of the night before our race, but... Looked like some pretty epic racing, and I do still hope to get a chance to watch it. But on our side, we had Tamara with a typical Tamara run coming back and getting herself all the way up into sixth place, actually making a close run for fifth, not quite catching Paula. So that was stellar to watch. But on the women's side, we saw Anne Haug absolutely demolishing the run and pretty relatively early in the run going into the lead, passing Ashley Gentle as well as Lucy Charles. So Lucy Charles was kind of off the front on the swim, as you might expect. Then she managed to increase that gap on the bike. And then you had a lot of the usual suspects in a chase group, including Ashley Gentle, Paula Finley, um, and a, a number of others. And then, you know, you had a, a few groups there, but Anne Howe was moving up late in the bike and got into a good position. And that's where she was able to charge on the run. And Ash Gentle probably not quite having the run that she's capable of. We know that she obviously is world-class and, you know, potentially could have run similar to, uh, and, and, and potentially held her off, but so it ended up being, and how Ash gentle Lucy Charles fourth place was Emma Pallant, who had a really charging run from behind as well. Uh, then fifth was Paula and Tamara snuck up into six. So that was pretty sweet. Men's side. We had Max Newman with the win. That was pretty incredible. It looked like it was basically two packs on the swim. And then you had some dynamics going on on the bike with a lead group. And then it uh, looked like basically Magnus Ditlev from the chase swim group pulling up Christian Blumenfeld to the front. All came together kind of at the front, maybe eight, ten guys. That's it? Thought that you were, uh, oh yeah, you're Jackson's at the airport. So periodically they're going to do some uh, flights boarding for North Carolina are going to be in 35, 40 minutes. So the <laughs> men's race for sure, it was, we it was, actually, we didn't really watch it because, well, we watched we woke up and it highlights. Was, we woke up and it was done, but yeah, you had, I mean, Ditlev made his way to the front, pulled Blumenfeld up there, and then he kept attacking and it looked like the group split up. Blumenfeld didn't make that front group, but you had Newman, um, you had Ditlev, Frodo, or potentially Frodo was up there, not maybe at the very front, but quite a few guys, and most of those guys didn't end up running that well. Alistair Brownlee was there, and then and, um, you had the best Newman with the best run, and Blumenfeld just wasn't able to pull him back from behind. 
and you know Newman took the win. Bloomfeld second, and then Ditlev with another super solid third place, which he was third at last year's U.S. Open as well. So he's been very consistently unreal. So I I, I love Ditlev. He's just he's a young kid, great head on his shoulders. He's got a great attitude, charisma, and he's good on camera. Even he just says very minimal stuff to get the job done. He's German as hell, so freaking love it. Not German. Oh, sorry, not German. Dutch. Dutch. No, not Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> Danish. That's oh man, we are we are so sorry, Magnus. Uh, we just correlate efficiency and being awesome and rock stars with a lot of German background. So yeah, I think he could uh, be called a lot worse. But Frodo with the comeback race fourth, solid. Jason West almost running him down from well back. Yeah, thirty, fifth, 30 so. minute ten k amongst the run there. Yeah, it's pretty unreal what he's doing on the run and overall, like he's just crazy. So um, pretty crazy, so- awesome racing over there. So another perspective I'd like to get on this whole scene of events before we start talking about St. George um, is our guest today, Matt Hansen. He's coming on to talk to us about life, the plunders of the triathlon world. And uh, yeah, without further ado, we're going to bring him on right now. All right. Awesome that Matt Hansen's joining us today. Matt, you've been on the show before, and of course, as a passionate competitor, business owner, and board member for the PTO, we really value all of your knowledge. So thanks for taking time right after your drive back from um, from Ironman 70.3 St. George to Boulder. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me back on. I think this is time number three. Three? Woo-hoo! Man, so we had to remind ourselves, I think, like a couple of weeks ago that we like started this in 2020. Like, I can't believe yeah. we've been doing this bullshit for so long. And we're still so mediocre at it, which is the crazy part. We don't have a lot of preparation, but you just show up to the show and we're like, all right, we're going to talk about what you had for dinner, maybe how your toes are looking, like just some random stuff that has <laughs> pretty much no one cares about, but it's obscure. How, and it's how good. are your toes looking, by the way, Matt? Do you have a, are you a toenails falling off guy or like a toenails indestructible guy? Uh, if uh, I hold form throughout the race, I'll keep my toenails. If I, my form falls apart, they fall off. So uh, it's usually the goal to see how far into each, each uh, race block you can go without losing any toenails. So, you know, Fortunately, unfortunately, I still have 10. Yeah, I typically have to size up on Nikes um, because for marathon or the the marathon portion of the, the Ironman, if I don't, my feet swell so much that the 11 and a half, just I lose a big toenail every race. Sucks. Wearing um, Nikes is the, the first problem there, but yeah. Yeah, I realize that. So <laughs> let's dive into that. Ironman 70.3 St. George. Um, I did wear the alpha fly 2.0s or whatever they are and i fucking hated those shoes i did not like them <laughs> and i thought really? they were gonna be great for some reason what what shoes did you opt for matt uh yeah i've been running in on with on since uh 2014 so yeah oh yeah I, you I, are I, a cloud I'm boom helping. guy yeah yep so i'm in the the 3.0 prototypes they should be coming out here shortly to the public we yeah what the hell soon, but when, uh when, do you yeah. believe, do you agree with the fact that you can run in shoes that are unavailable to the rest of your competitors? Is that fair? I mean, <laughs> I think that as long as they fit within the specs, people have been, you know, doing that all along, you know, like <laughs> we, you, people are running tires that no one else can get. People are running wheels that no one else can get. 
I, I saw your teammate there, Jackson, uh, gawking over your, your wheel in, in transition. <laughs> Who was that? Yeah, some people, you know, not everybody gets the first batch. So yeah, that's yeah. that. But speaking of the on, what uh, I remember you ran in that shoe or a prototype of it for your really fast run at Daytona a few years ago. So what what is like that shoe now? Are they maxing it out with the stack height and like the carbon plate and everything and stiffness? Yeah, the run in Daytona, I got my first ever carbon shoe uh, prototype two days before the race. So I ran in it once and then Daytona. And I obviously uh, kind of liked it since then. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're constantly playing around. It's not maxed out yet. So there's still a little bit of room they can do uh, or they could go. Um, but um, it, it's kind of a fine line of getting a, a shoe that you know, gives you the return off the ground that you want, but also allows you to run around corners, especially in races like uh, St. George, where you have a lot of downhill off camber turns. Um, you know, it's kind of funny when you watch non uh, sponsored marathon runners, they'll choose a different shoe for a, a flat kind of course that doesn't have any turns versus one that has a, lo a lot more turns. Um, you know, because yeah, some, you just can't, you, you have to slow down too much into the corners. Yeah, I think that the Alpha Fly 2 for the St. George course was just a shitty opportunity for that shoe to fail me. Not like everything else wasn't failing me. Um, so, Matt, you, um, you've you raced a little bit this year already. You came from Ironman Texas, which we'll get to. And this race, it sounded like when I had spoken to you earlier in the week, might have been a bit of a schmaybe it was going to happen. Um, how how were you feeling race week as, after a crash? Yeah, it was, you know, it was maybe it was going to happen until I felt pretty good about it after Sunday. So, you know, six days before the the race, I felt good that I could, you know, put together a, a somewhat respectable day. Uh, but, you know, I was talking to Julie or Coach Julie on you know Wednesday and Thursday after the crash. So, uh, you know, the week after Ironman Texas and, you know, I'm like, I, there's there's just no way I've got way too far to go. And, uh, this actually shocked me. Usually I'm much more like I'm racing no matter what. And she's like, ah, you sure about that? But this time it was, she was like, you know, just give it till Sunday. And I was like, yeah, I, I don't think I can go. Um, but you know, obviously I, I don't feel like I was a hundred percent on the, on the line, but I was, I, you know, this was really my only shot that I had in my intended schedule to be able to get the, the slot for Finland. Um, so I, we did see important. you get that. We saw yeah. you stick and around. So I, 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 uh, got that. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, you know, I was all right with, with the result, uh, you know, given the circumstances. So after a crash like that, did you have any bike handling PTSD on this course since it's such a lot of fast, crazy whippy turns? Yeah, for sure. Um, the first little out and back, it was great. Like I had to unclip, like, it was just like totally like panic moment on the, the, um, U-turn on, on seven mm -hmm. and there was no reason for it. It just like caught me. I wasn't focused and, and, you know, just going, you know, wasn't thinking about looking through, you know, doing all the little things and just kind of had a little mini panic attack. Um, <laughs> you know, and yeah, uh, guys behind me, I'm sure laughed a little bit because it, it wasn't, uh, the, the best showcase of, of handling by any means, but, uh, definitely well, I, the rest of the day, it was okay. It was just kind of getting over that first little bit. How did you, 
how did you overcome it? Like what, what was it? Was it just so fast to over and done with, or was it like a talk yourself off the ledge? Oh, I, I yelled at myself a few times uh, right away afterwards, <laughs> Get, you know, like got back into it. But then it was just, you know, just a reminder of to do the things that you always do you without thinking, but just kind of thinking about them. So looking through the corners, pressure on the pedals, you know, get your center of gravity low, just kind of giving yourself something, something to think about. So it wasn't, uh, oh, I'm going to crash again, you know? Yeah. Focusing on logic. Speaking yeah. of crashing, did you guys notice, I just remembered this at the first U-turn, somebody had crashed. Yeah. Somebody who was near the front. Does anybody know who that was? If they're okay? Like, like I never heard about it after, but he seemed to be in a pretty bad situation when I went by there. Like I probably got there like 10 to 30 seconds after he crashed. I was right behind you and he was on his feet um, already. So um, yeah, I think he was all right, but definitely. Yeah. I think he hit a cone. There was a cone that was sitting right in the middle that, yeah, that sucks. That's what I was going. Yeah. That that's right where the whole situation happened with me. So that was kind of fresh in the head and seeing another guy on the ground already. It was just like, okay. It had, it could be me. Hashtag. Um, So then after that, you got into it and you rode where you wait real quick. Hold on. Hold on. Don't get too far ahead there. I want to say one thing about Matt, Matt, your swim has come up in the, in the game. What's up? What have you been doing? My swim has gotten better. Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're less further down than you were years prior. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've been coming out with Jack for, for quite a while now. It seems like every race we go, we go together. Um, we come out pretty close to each other. Um, it wasn't like the, what was it? Compeche when the two of you were together and, and you were, you were off the front. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, Paid for that, it's one. Come, come, that was 2020, I guess. Um, yeah, that was the day before the, the world Pandemic. Shut down, wasn't it? That was the last good day of my career, Matt. I don't know. Uh... <laughs> know what happened ever since then but but yeah uh, so it, it just it seems like ever since covid um you're swimming and i'm not just saying like just this race but it ha- like even chattanooga with the down current swim i mean you bridged a significant cap- gap i just really physically couldn't and i remember being so pissed about it so i was like what the hell is going on with matt swimming it's so much spicier yeah i mean i think a little bit of it is just being a lot more aware of what's going on um you, you just kind of learn the tactics to manage the first 500 meters better and better as you do it more and more. And, you know, I'll be honest, that's why I raced so frequently earlier on in my career was because I knew that was a flaw of mine and, and uh, something that I was not getting right. And, you know, it took me a number of times, you know, I still screwed up every now and then, but it, 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 uh, that part of it has gotten a lot better. Um, There's definitely been a few swims that have not gone well in the last year or two, but yeah, on average, it's trending in the right direction. So pro tip from Matt right here, opportunity, coach Matt, pro Matt, let's combine the two. So we've all, we've kind of talked about this as a collective for our little group here. Um, Like the swim start is always like such a catastrophe because everybody can kind of stick together for a few hundred yards. And that's when you kind of get the luck of the draw or you get the clean water and you can break away. Now, when you start to get bashed and battered and dudes are on your ankles and crossing over you perpendicularly for some reason, like, how are you managing that? Are you kind of like withholding some of the effort to let that scramble dissolve and then surging? Or what is your pro and coach tip on that? 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, and early in the career, I was doing so much top end work in the pool that, you know, I, I could go out and be one of the front guys, out, you know, every time. And so I, I had clean water almost instantly, but I was going so hard that, you know, get to the two, 300 meter mark. And it was like a gorilla would jump on my back. Um, you know, in 2015, my first time in Kona, I was leading at, or I was in the first two at the second buoy. Remember that. Uh, and then, and then I just went totally lactic, had 50 guys swim over the top of me. And, you know, that was a, a big learning oops, uh, for me. And so it's, you have to, you know, go out with control. You have to go out hard, but, um, you have to be able to, uh, manage, you know, manage a surge, you know, at the two or 300 meter mark, because there's going to be a gap that opens up unless you got really lucky and got on the right feet right away. And, you know, sometimes in these races, now that they have uh, colored caps for certain people, uh, you can be a little bit pickier about who you line up next to or see, you know, manage the start a little bit better just by, okay, I should, you know, that cap is, you know, this person, I sh I have no business swimming with them or, you know, that helps a little bit. Also kind of gets in your head a little bit when uh, Sam's got a cap and he's sitting on your feet and you can figure that out right away. That's yeah. yeah. Like that. Okay. Well, good tips. Thanks for that. Uh, Jackson proceed with your, uh, well, you should have sacrificed yourself and created a huge gap that he would never close and then closed it really quick. And then <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> Oh, I wasn't willing to uh, to do that. Anyways, random deviation from Nick there, but uh, back to the race. So you rode after that. How how the bike lay out? I know you didn't have your you know optimal back health that you would have liked, but how did that go? Yeah, it, it went it went okay. Um, I I was you know decent power and uh, hit the climbs really hard, and that's. You know, I feel like I was closing the gap on everybody on the climbs and then um, would just hold on the on the descents or, or lose on the on the couple of people I was I was chasing. Like I could always see uh, Luciano up the road, finally caught him right before Snow Canyon. And then uh, Justin had broken back off of your group uh, on the out and back. I saw that I was about 90 seconds behind him, um, you know, right before the climb up Snow Canyon. So I've I worked. I worked snow Canyon pretty hard. Um, and then, you know, I was thinking I'd be out of gears on the descent like normal. Um, but we had such a big headwind in there that I think working snow Canyon that hard hurt me a little bit because, you know, I, I, uh, couldn't hold, you know, I should have been able to hold higher power on the descent and, uh, on the faster speed. And I just didn't have it cause I was a little bit, uh, banged up from, you know, going up the Canyon a bit hard, but, um, overall I was, you know, it was a okay ride. Um, I was probably about three, three minutes slower than I should have been on the day, but, um, you know, that's, yeah, some days you just don't have your, your best performance. Yeah. I think that most of all, that's kind of why even with RTS having a team, we were like, well, at least three people had a good race and two people kind of shit the bed. So that's the way she goes. You know, we gotta, we gotta stack our odds here. Um, so Matt, Obviously, awesome that you still made it out to this event, still placed well, fought hard. Um, coming from – actually, before we get there, did you, like, pay attention much to the PTO race in Ibiza? Did you have, you know, like, expectations of wanting to go there versus here? Kind of how was that looking? In terms of, like, when I laid out my uh, race schedule for the year, 
that one never really made the conversation even. And it was supposed to be because I was uh, still fatigued from Ironman Texas and going that hard from uh, off of two weeks off of an Ironman uh, was probably not going to be the best situation. I, I thought that uh, I would have had a better shot at 70.3 two weeks after than, than trying to do the shorter distance, which I uh, struggle with a little bit anyways. And that race looked like it went off pretty hard. I mean, I was asking Jackson if he thought like, oh, thanks, Jackson, for the airline control. Uh, I was wondering if he would be stoked to be here. And I think like there's a lot of us, even if, you know, I had the opportunity to race in the beast. So I, I think, I don't know, St. George is a special place to race the course, the community. I think this is going to be one of the OG courses that always is, a, is around. I, I certainly hope so. I don't think they're going to make it another 140.6 like they said they were. Um, but I think the half distance is here to stay. So um, did the, how that race unfolded, were you surprised in not seeing Jan kind of be the dominant force or did we kind of expect him to maybe fizzle out and did he actually give respect to those who beat him? Let's go deep into that. Uh, I haven't been on social media much since the race. So <laughs> I, I don't know what I might've missed something there. Did he, did he not give, you know, enough kudos to the people? Come on, Jackson. Else? Jackson's got a, a phrase on this one. What? No, I mean, I think he had a really freaking good race. Like, let's be honest. The dude's over 40, hasn't raced much, comes back to a relatively short race and finishes fourth among a very world-class field. Like, that's really good. He didn't really say that. Like, he kind of was like, eh, didn't have it a little bit and that. But I think the reality is the levels are super freaking high. And when you have to bike that hard with a guy like Ditlev, yeah. I don't think you should expect to run a 59-minute or whatever when you're him coming back. But... I mean, he all, and he was fourth, and then Jason almost caught him as well. So I think he's maybe just not ready to accept yet that it's it's not just he's going to come in and win. He's going to have to have perfect day, just like anybody else now. You have to have a perfect day, luck, really good fitness, get everything right, and then you might be able to win. Yeah, it's the there's no one person right now that is going to go in and everybody's like, it's their race to lose. Right. I, I think that it's, yeah, like you said, luck is playing into these races so much of just how the tactics work out. Does it, you know, work in your favor? I mean, there's guys that you can say, yeah, they're going to be a top five or a, you know, a top 10, but you know, it, you know, yeah, it just, it's so hard to, you know, I think if you think about 70.3 worlds in Kona last year, not many people would have predicted the way either of those races shook out. And, you know, they weren't necessarily bad days by the people who, you know, were fourth and fifth. It was just you know, crazy the the way that the race unfolded. And, you know, I, I think that Max had a, a fantastic day he, and, you know, did the did the right things and and uh, made the move when it was time. Now, it's, it is interesting point that you've both brought up, like back, you know, a couple of years ago, there was one person that was winning we they had the favorite every time and now there's like you said maybe five how how has that happened and is that like what what are some theories as to why the sport suddenly saw a surge of top end talent where before Jan was beating people by sometimes 10 minutes for a full or even like the marino van honakers who were just dominating so much on the bike or what or even keenly sometimes what's going on in the sport 
I I hope that it's just we're getting a lot smarter in uh, the way that we're training. Um, you know, the the sport advanced so much coming out of the pandemic, and uh, at the time, I really hoped that it was because you know we always find that balance of racing as much as we can to make a living, but also getting in the proper work and the proper training um, to really up our game. And we didn't have that block of racing that we normally would have. So we took a, you know, basically an 18 month uh, training block and, you know, came out of that and everybody was, was flying. And I really hope that's because we were just training the right way and, and uh, doing everything, you know, obviously there's rumors that that wasn't necessarily the, the case, but um, you know, you yeah. can't deal with those. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I, I, it was just a point you brought up and I was like, wait a minute, you're right. All of a sudden it's not like, even back in the day, there was always like one or two really killers. And now it's like, there's a lot of killers. Now there's more, so, more incentive as well. Right. So we're seeing yeah. some young guys, guys moving to the distance full time in their early twenties, rather than going and chasing the Olympics for a decade or more, and then coming into the sport later or just not coming into long course at all. So like a, how many guys now that are very good, that are less than 25 years old. And we weren't really seeing that much um, before, you know, 2019, 2020 range. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we always get a few Olympic, you know, it, it always gets faster. The swim always gets a lot faster after each Olympic cycle. And, you know, this, this Olympic cycle was compressed, right? We had, um, you know, with COVID and everything. So some people moved out quicker and then, you know, the, the off year just made everything a little bit different and yeah, there's more money and, um, on the, you know, thanks to the PTO and, and some of the pressures and things like that. So, you know, yeah, it's could just be a perfect storm going in that direction. Well, and plus there's shoes you can't buy. There's wheels. You can't get your hands on tires that are made of magical dust that kind of slide like Gumby across the ground. I mean, there's all kinds of magical compartments out there for gear. You can't get what's up. Yeah. And I, you know, I, we also can't ignore the fact that um, the media motos are definitely playing a role in speeding things up, but, you know, as, as the production values get better and better, there's more and more media um, motos out there trying to get the best shot possible. And, and that means that they're giving some people uh, you know, a little bit of help, on the bike as well. And, and that, you know, that definitely plays a role also. So I think we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later on when we talk about the race ranger too, though. Yeah. How do you feel about, um, this is just a fact that I've found out in the pro briefing. How, how do you feel about them taking away super tucking for us? Uh, I mean, I, I can, ima I can't imagine you're much of a super tucker, Matt, but for I, someone I've never who is super tucked once in my life. So I'm all for it. <laughs> it's so, it's so fast. Okay. All right. So no comment. Um, Matt, you mentioned, or we alluded to the crash you had in Ironman, Texas. Um, I wanted to dive into a couple key points on that. Namely, this isn't the first time a professional athlete has been injured during the course of a race by no means of their own. Um, there's, a, there's some terrifying examples of it. We're so glad that you're able to race again after that, that event. Now, can you walk through, you know, as gently as you can, um, what happened on that day and what protections are offered to an athlete in that situation, if any, um, and you know, how do you feel about it? Yeah. So I was on mile, I guess, 73 or yeah, 73, I think of the second lap, uh, at Ironman, Texas. And 
uh, we'd gone through an aid station, um, had just maybe 10 seconds because I was back up to full power and back in my bar. So we were well past, well past the last chance trash. And unfortunately, um, an age grouper who was on his first loop, um, just I, I'm assuming he was fumbling with his bottles, trying to get organized. And he totally lost control of his bike and just took a 90 degree bend straight into my front wheel. Uh, yeah, there was nothing I could do about it. Just hit uh, yeah, just went straight over, uh, hit the back of my helmet on the ground first and then flat on my back. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I went through a week of feeling like very, very upset that I had lost a big opportunity because I felt I was in a good spot, um, in, on the day, you know, you, it, it would be so unfair to everybody else who was racing to say, you know, it was, you know, a guarantee or anything like that, that I was going to be upfront, but, I feel like I was in a spot where I could have been, you know, at least fighting for the front uh, at some point. And, um, you know, so I went through times of being really upset that that opportunity was taken away. Obviously, it was a paycheck. It was PTO points. It was, you know, sponsor bonus, things like that, um, to being very lucky that, you know, I walked away with a cracked helmet and just, you know, a lot of road rash and a, a pretty darn sore back. But, you know, I, I was able to walk away and, and in those situations when you, you still have everything that you need to be the man that you still are which is is great um how do you feel about you know being put in a position as a professional athlete having to share the course with you know athletes who can or volunteers who can cause these types of situations by total accident of course um you know how, how does that put how do we feel about putting ourselves in that risk yeah, it's really tough. Uh, that's one thing that we've talked a lot about uh, as part of the PTO is is trying to see what we can do to make uh, one loop courses uh, when both pros and age groupers are racing at the same time. A lot of people, a lot of fans, you know, it, it's we're kind of in a rock and a hard place moment, right? Where the fans, a lot of them are drawn to the sport because they get to race with us. And that's been a selling point is they race with the pros you know, Ironman kind of, we make a joke that they give the pros the age group experience uh, instead of the other way around. Um, and, you know, so that that's tough from a, you know, you you can't, it's tough from a, you know, like your fan, you know, your fan base kind of appreciates that aspect. But as a pro, like I want to, you know, not be screaming on your left for two laps of a bike course or, um, you know, being put in positions where, it, you know, it could take us out and end our career. Um, you know, thankfully that didn't happen. Um, but it was, yeah, not a fun day. Um, the now, stations and volunteers are that, you know, that's another, that's a tough one as well, but. Were the roads at Texas, was it pretty much like you have the right lane from the yellow line to the shoulder or were they saying, if you needed to, could you cross that line and avoid they, there were certain parts where you could have potentially crossed, but we had two lanes. So, it, you know, it was down and back on the same highway. So there was oncoming bikes. So it was probably best not to mm -hmm. uh, spend too much time across the, across the lane line. Um, yeah. The frustrating part about this one was it was, there was an on-ramp pretty much right there. So it was the widest section of the day. Uh, there were, you know, it was a ton of space. The guy just, you know, unfortunately 
went right into me and yeah, I didn't even get, have time to get out of the bars. Okay. So let's say, sorry, Jackson. You, I'm just going to jump in for one sec here. I yeah, got a board in a second. So I just want to say, I'm really glad you're able to recover from that pretty quick. Could have been worse. And you're right. I think it's pretty, um, it's tough as pros. Like I've been to races that are multiple laps and in South America and stuff like that. And it's just a situation that's really stressful, uh, for everyone. And the age groupers, you know, we're coming through, you know, twice as fast at some times and that's tough. So, um, Jackson, this is awesome. Okay. This is pod so, podcasting at the airport. And the other thing I wanted to say is I'm going to be gone, but you, Nick, don't forget to ask him about, uh, how he schooled our boy, Mark Dubrick in a final, in a battle in the last mile oh, yeah. and a half of the run at St. George, but I got to go okay. fellas. Thanks. All right. Matt. I will say Jack. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that that was going to pop up on the schooling part. So I'm, I'm stoked on that. Um, oh. so um, let's say, for example, just one more topic of discussion for the uh, Ironman Texas thing for now. Um, let's say you had cracked a frame, mm -hmm. um, done, had been hospitalized. Is there a protocol that would help you as an athlete recoup some of the loss of costs or anything like that or a frame repair? What's available? I don't think there's anything uh, for the bike unless, like, unless you carry insurance or something like that. USAT has a secondary medical insurance. So that's part of the, you know, the fee that you pay for USAT. So if you have an accident during a race, they should help with some medical bills at least. Um, but you know, that can be tricky if you're racing out of the country, for example, uh, you know, the, uh, Andy Dreitz, uh, ran into the moto at St. George last year, the, the, at the world champs, the media moto stopped right in front of him destroyed his frame. Uh, he had some major back issues and, and I remember he was, ha you know, talking to him, he had some difficulties, uh, trying to get any sort of help. So it wasn't completely out of pocket for him. Yeah. I think hopefully, you know, transitioning to more of a PTO chat out of this. Yeah. I know you're on the board. Um, I ran for a position on the board as well. Uh, and, I don't know. I mainly wanted to see what the hell we could do as a board. So I know it's probably still new and you're still filling some shoes, but what is your sense of the validity of the bo athlete board versus the probably corporate and decision-making board with financials? Like how do you all play a part in the structure? Yeah. So the, there's the PTOC and then the PTO athlete. So the PTOC is the corporate side of the commercial side. Uh, they have their own budget and then the athletes have, uh, have our own budget. Obviously it's much smaller because the race fees or the prize purses and all that stuff comes out of the commercial side. So, uh, we have a budget that we can use. Um, and, uh, right now it's, it's been a lot of work to try to figure out how best to deploy that. Um, we definitely looked at some level of insurance and, um, the, the, the logistics of that are difficult just because everybody's, you know, in a different place in the world. And, um, you know, U S insurance system is very different than Canada and very different than European. So, um, but that's, we've had a few conversations on that front. That's one of the priorities is just, try, you know, moving forward. It'll take a little bit of time and, you know, to be honest, it'll, it'll take a little bit more, uh, income on the PTO side of like, you know, getting some TV viewerships and and things like that. 
um, before I think we'll be able to actually get that. But we want to have the infrastructure in place. So in a year or two, when, uh, you know, it's running like a for-profit business and not a charity, um, then, you know, we can deploy that immediately and, and, you know, more drug testing immediately. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the race ranger, it was, it went, went through an Ibiza, um, that was, it, it, from all I've seen about that, um, I haven't looked too much, but uh, we did have a quick email, um, you know, discussion. It seemed like that went well, um, or there were no hiccups with that. It's been uh, tested out at a few races before that as well. So, um, yeah, those are just a few things. Um, you know, some of the things that really don't cost money that you know, as a board member, I'm pushing for is making all pro racing twenty meter draft. Um, you know. I would love to see TUEs be public if you want a PTO score. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can't like Ironman as a signatory can't say we're making them all public, but uh, PTO as a, as a organization could possibly say, if you want a score, if you want your, you know, to be a part of the PTO, these are some of the things that you have to do. I, I would like to see that. Obviously there's some, issues around that because a lot of the people that have TUEs are, are with a, a mental health, um, you know, it's a, a mental health medication and you, you would hate to have that be. There should be some discretion, of course. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that that's not a, it's easy to say, but th there's some execution, uh, issues on that front as well. But, um, yeah, I definitely think that more out of competent, out of competition testing is a must. Um, especially after recent events, um, but yeah, and the, and about that, it seems like even at Ironman Texas, and I heard this after the fact, and it didn't really get brought up until I think now. Like you all had to go through a very extenuous, you know, anti-doping was the course. What? Yeah, yeah, it was a presentation by one of the uh, USADA employees. Um, the, we, anybody in the testing pool had to go through an educational, like an online educational thing. It was pretty much the same thing as that. So, um, you know, I'm guessing they were, they were just trying to get a lot of the people that weren't in the testing pool there. Um, yeah, it was interesting timing to say the least. Well, it's also like, it's very procedural and it's almost like a knee jerk reaction and it doesn't really solve any problems. Probably not because that's not inherently the problem. Those are the people who are probably doing the best job to the advocates um, and more education doesn't always mean more adherence. It just means maybe you can beat the system better. So, right. So at the end of the day um, we did even see, I mean, I was randomly blood tested here uh, along with a lot of other pro athletes at the Ironman 70.3 St. George. So hopefully that's going to be more of the new norm where it's very random and it could be even days prior to the race to catch more people off guard. Cause that's just it. Like, can't be routine has to be very much targeted um on a group of individuals that have maybe never been tested uh to yeah kind of for sure I, you know i think but i mean let's be honest testing at an event is is the deterrent it, you know if you're an idiot if you're you're going into an event mm -hmm. doing something you know because that's where you're you've got the highest likelihood of actually being tested we need out of competition testing to you yeah. know that's that's where people are typically, I would think, going to be doing the things they're not supposed to be doing. Um, you know, unfortunately, passing, you know, drug, you know, what what's the famous thing, you know, Lance Armstrong passed 500, you know, never failed a drug test and he had over 500 in his life. Like, yeah, 
um, you know, there, there has to be, you know, something change, you know, to make it so you can, whether it's lowering the margin of error, um, you know, that's been something I've heard floated out a couple times is, is maybe we change it from a five-year or four-year ban to a, a two or three-year ban, but make the likely, you know, take it down to a 97% uh, certainty rate that rather than a 99% certainty rate. Um, mm. You know, for example, 3% seems, you know, I don't know if I was one of those 3%, I would think pretty differently though, but. Yeah, that's interesting. I think the ways that we all kind of think things could be adjusted for a better, safer performance uh, is really kind of a large variance. Like if the penalties are much more strict um, and you have to repay earnings for the previous year based on the organization you've signed on for, that's something I personally think should be done. And mandatory lifetime bans for certain drugs that are in system that are just dangerous because you have direct intent of beating and breaking the system and secretly doing it. Like if there's that level, it's like first degree murder versus involuntary manslaughter or whatever assault, like there should be like steps of this. Um, yep. So I'm sure the PTO, did you guys have like a emergency uh, board call and kind of discuss some opportunities? Yeah, for sure. And, and, we're, this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, we're meeting again uh, next week about it. We didn't want to overshadow the Ibiza and the, you know, the performances this weekend. I mean, that was the worst, you know, the, such a frustrating thing for me as an athlete, you know, like the, the, the people who raced at Ironman Texas didn't really get to celebrate their win or the people no. that won, you know, they, their thunder got kind of taken from them by this announcement. And, you know, that's, that was something that we were all pretty cognizant of and, and didn't, you know, we wanted to make sure that these races got the attention. It was a big weekend of racing. Um, not just, you know, we had the St. George, we had Ibiza, we had the ITU worlds and then, um, the Australia, uh, Ironman in Australia as well. So that, you know, it was just a big weekend of racing. So they, you know, we definitely wanted to let the athletes celebrate the, those successes before, kind of putting a shadow over, you know, or putting a rain call out over everybody again for, for a little bit, but there'll, there'll definitely be a lot more coming out, um, both of changes that we made with policy, um, and, you know, and with, um, you Testing know, and further investigation. Yeah. And I'm sure it's ongoing and, you know, I'm sure this is like a drip in the bucket of what is to come. And I hope I know we all hope that there's going to be a lot of knowledge and new and new protocols out of it. So that certainly is probably in the books, no matter what. Um, but changing gears just a little bit, some other changes that we noticed that the PP PTO opens for prize purse. Um, it seems like the, the amounts had kind of been changed a lot. You know, they cut a lot of money from fourth to 15th and they yep. kept the first place the same. And now, it doesn't, it, it's always felt like to me, like the amount of, I understand why, because the sport is needs to be felt to be a certain level of prestige, yep. but a hundred thousand for the first place and then 50 for second. I mean, that money, not that it's not well earned or deserved or whatever, but it just seems like if, if the PTO was trying to have a business model that was going to be more sustainable and maybe have better trickle down economics, it wouldn't be so top heavy. 
Um, and what is the reason for that? And also why from fourth to 15th is that different now? Yeah, so the the reason that fourth to fifteenth was uh, that that's an easy answer. Um, it's because we added a couple races to the series this year and and didn't have the income from last year to to boost that. Um, and so for next year, I think you'll see a little bit of a different. Um, your yeah, it'll it'll look a little bit different in terms of how the the funding is going down. I, I think it'll probably be limited to twenty instead of thirty athletes. Um, and you know, that'll hopefully make it. So, you know, everybody's getting a little bit more that's there. Um, obviously that does limit the fields, but if you think about it, um, you know, if there's, they're able to pull off seven races next year, for example, uh, you know, then the people who might've been 25th place at a PTO race can now go and have a much higher likelihood of winning a, a one of the other 70.3s or one of the other races. So, you know, hopefully that still is rising the tide, um, for all of triathlon. Uh, obviously it, it's been, you know, the PTO has been bleeding money for, for a couple of years and the investors are still very much behind the sport, but they need to start seeing a model that can show returns. And so the, uh, there's a couple of ways to go about doing that and, you know, to get the TV rights and to get people to follow the, the story, you need a season long narrative. You need to have um, the top athletes and the same kind of athletes at the major events. So they're recognizable. So people can fall in love with the athletes and with their story and know them and, and follow that along. And so, you know, the, the vote, honestly, uh, from the board meeting to, you know, they said, we have to cut the prize money back per race. You know, it's the same total prize money, but just spread it spread out over an additional race. So how do we do that? Do we cut the top? And the the board members voted to keep it at the top because uh, in order to have that story um, have the most appeal to the media and have them take on, we have to have this, you know, the same recognizable faces at, okay. at every race. And so that was kind of the the logic behind it. That's you know, Chris Commode has done this with tennis. Um, you know, we've had uh, golf, you know, uh, kind of in our background as well, uh, leadership from golf come through. And so that's the influence and it it worked well, that, that business model worked well. So um, the hope is to be able to really develop that in the next year and really have a very strong top 20 at most of the major events. And then, you know, that eventually we'll be able to have some additional events and, and some additional opportunities for the pros that aren't in the top 20. I can respect a lot of that. I mean, there's no, there's no perfect way to do this. And it's been, we've been trying, I mean, a lot of folks have been trying for years to make triathlon a more mainstream valid sport that can compete with the likes of tennis and golf. Now, the broadcasting availability in the U S I don't think that it will be a network covered topic for many years if ever i think lots of people have tried to do that i just don't think the american public and based on the you know the clash numbers that i've seen from their broadcasting which is probably the only ones who had that type of nbc sport access it really wasn't very promising however yeah. the youtube broadcasting the streaming you know when people have a, cho a choice to record and watch later um, or just even break it down into eight to 15 minute show. Unfortunately, that's pretty much what we're going to have to work with as a sport to grab the attention in the hearts of a lot of people. 
possibly at the start. Uh, but if you, I mean, if you think about it, you know, two or three years ago, F1 didn't exist in the U.S. Now they're building a track in Vegas, um, you know, so, and, you know, no one followed European football and now it's becoming bigger and bigger here as well. And obviously those sports are much more established. Um, but, you know, one of the investors is, is a, a broadcasting uh, company. So, uh, you know, that, that, that shows that they're not afraid of, of trying to bring this, that into the market, right? Like, yeah, I think you know, Europe is, Europe is a great market for this to work. Yep. Yep. And, you know, if, if they can get established in the European market, then I think eventually it will come over and, um, you know, do better and better here. Yeah. I think, you know, with what we're trying to do also, I mean, we see the writing on the wall too. Like there's a problem and we're dealing with, with investors just for RTS is everyone's looking at the sport and they're thinking, well, you've got all these fragmented bits of followership through 800,000 for Ironman um, you know, almost over a million for a PTO. The Olympics have their own category. There's just so many fragmented parts of triathlon that aren't communicating and sharing the audience. Yep. So that's probably the biggest hurdle we have is how do we co collectively share the story, not just, you know, for, even for our podcast to the How They Train podcast, to the other ones, how do we keep telling a unified story and, and build those personalities for the other athletes who won't be in the top 20, who are going to be more on the boots on the ground, capturing their local community. Um, you know, when they go to the grocery store and see Matt Hansen, they're going to be like, Oh my God, I saw Matt Hansen. So that's where we all still, even though the PTO is doing that top end work as a collective of professional athletes, we have to start acting more as brand representatives, even though we're not earning those top dollars. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. This, is, this, this is tried and, you know, this isn't the first time that this has been tried, you know, it's, it's happened numerous times, and it's been like herding cats. And, and so yeah, trying to get all the athletes on board and to, you know, hopefully buy into the vision, um, you know, it might not be immediately beneficial to them. But, you know, I, I, I think that we can leave the sport better than than where we're at now. Yeah, and Formula One, like I watch the show every weekend that it's on, but I love that it's a three-day event. There's drama every day. Yep. There's an ability to have, you know, there's sometimes just cars going around in a circle and people talking about it and nothing's happening, but then something does. So I think Super League is is innovating in a way that is going to change the way the broadcast is kind of picked up. And in the integration, hopefully, maybe with WTCS, with, um, with PTO, like those are the most dominant organizations I see funneling the energy into creating a more vibrant sport. Ironman, I think, is a participation model until they buy into this as well I and mean, see that their investors could probably see a 20 to 50x return by participating. We won't see that there, but it's like you know, we've always, we kind of have a joke like, well, if the PTO fails, Ironman is going to be over here like, hey, we're still over here. We're, yep. we hate us, but we're still here. Like, and that's what we really don't want to happen. Yeah. I mean, I, I think even if the PTO weren't to make it, I, I think, I really do think that it's going to, but yeah. I mean, just think of, of how much more Ironman is doing now on the broadcast side. Like it, it's put a little pressure on them to up their game and they're, they're doing better with it. And so, you know, obviously there's always more that can be done and more, you know, more that we as athletes think that can be done, but um, you know, even if they aren't listening to the athletes, they're responding to, you know, the, the things that the PTO is doing. And, and I think that's been a positive for the sport. I think that's going to help 
Iron Man out um, and it'll help us out as well. Absolutely agree. Yeah, I think the work you all are doing is is fantastic. I'm going to keep trying to get on that board. Um, and is there anything else worth sharing that, you know, the the general listenership could benefit from knowing from the PTO board or anything you can, you know, coming down the pipe? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that, you know, obviously that's in the works, but, you know, the one thing that I want to definitely emphasize is, you know, this is kind of goes out to the the pro triathletes who are, are listening here is, you know, the board really is there because we think that we can make a difference. And so, you know, this, you know, last couple of weeks ago was a great example of it. When, when something happened in the sport, a lot of people made comments on social media and things like that. None of the board members had somebody reach out to us and say, Hey, what can we do about this? Or like, this is my idea. They own that. And that's really what we're here for. We're here to represent the overall athletes. And so, you know, I feel like I'm always going out and asking what we can do rather than, you know, and it would be great if the pros can, you know, be, Hey, Matt, this is what I would like to see as a board member. And, you know, obviously I can do the best I can with it, but, you know, I feel like that's my job is to, you know, not to say what I feel like I want. It's to say, well, this is what I'm hearing the other pros want. Yeah. I think it, when you, when the board meets, I think I, I would love to listen in to the minutes, like even as a, just an auditor without any ability to voice anything, I think just being part of the meetings would be absolutely cool to hear or just see the agenda, like what the yep. topics are. So we are we are putting out an agenda and a post meeting newsletter that's new the la last couple of weeks. Um, so that you know, step one of that, yeah. I guess. Well, most definitely, the level of professional on the board, professionalism and knowledge and business acumen is there. So you all are going to make a difference, and of course, we'll look forward to hearing more about that. So, yeah, I think Matt. I mean, the story about the crash coming back, still racing. Um, you're running a, an amazing company also. Um, certainly, you know, I'm, I cut, I, we're cut from the same cloth in, in our kind of like tenacity to want to wanna work for others. Um, and I just had to like, dude, I had to hire a life coach to tell me like, I need to take more care of myself. Do you, do you ever run into that when you're like, Matt, what do you do for you? What do you do and what do you do for you? Yeah, that that's tough. You know, as triathlete as triathletes, we're we have to be a little bit selfish. Um, just in, you know, I'm gone a lot, and that's really not fair to fair to Ash. You know, I travel a lot to races. I, you know, I'm about to leave to Europe for for three and a half weeks to race in Slovakia and Hamburg. And and you know, that's it's just like, yep, yeah, bye, Ash, take care of everything at home. Um, you know, here's how you start the lawnmower, you know, like that's really not that fair. Uh, and, and so I oftentimes feel guilty trying to, you know, when I'm at home, you know, do that type of thing, like take time for myself and just chill out a little bit or do something that is kind of therapeutic for me. But, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, my wife and I you know, both really enjoy taking the dot. Like it, it's kind of the number one most important thing for us is like we eat dinner together and then we walk the dog. And that's, you know, that's why I had to bump from, uh, you know, when you said, let's do this at six, I said, yeah, we got to do it at seven because six to seven is our like dinner and, you know, Rocky gets his walk then. And, and so that, you know, that's definitely, you know, a big part of that, but, you know, I, I think that it's good that, uh, 
you know, you're, you've been willing to talk to somebody. I, I've definitely had to do something like that in the past. And, you know, it's good to be able to talk about that, you know, or be willing to talk about that because I think a lot of people need to hear it. Yeah. We all as coaches, athletes who want to see our sport grow and develop a, a company that's going to make a difference. Um, you know, we get in the habit of giving everything to make sure everyone else is okay. And I think it's just a good note, the dog walking for sure. Sometimes it's like, I try, I take my dog on a run usually when I go, but it's getting too hot. So she almost died yeah. in like 80 degrees today. I was like, well, we can only do 4k today. So I'll just, when it's eight o'clock at night, I'll get on our little scooter and just motor her around the the sunset when it's going around. So those are the little things I think in animals and family, like that's all we really have if the sport was to disappear. So good reminder for everybody too. Like you got to look in the mirror and ask how much is the pressure cooker about to explode? Cause I felt like, man, when the kids are plus you guys are probably gonna have kids one day, right? Good possibility. Yeah. I mean, man, once the kids come out, whew, it's another life altogether. I can tell you. And I have only step kids. So I'm like yeah. part-time parent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, in order to give the best of yourself, you have to be your best self. Right. So, you know, taking care of you is important. And Jackson kind of mentioned, uh, how did you, how, how'd you treat our boy, Mark Dubrick in the uh, finishing shoot? What'd you, what'd you do to him? Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, <laughs> obviously he had a, had a great swim and, and, uh, was well off the front. Uh, you know, so I, I caught him by right around the end of the ride and, right on the climb to snow canyon i caught him and then he was able to latch on and and so i towed him around a little bit for the for the rest of the ride and then uh got into transition and and i might have had a, a 30 second gap on him or something and my back was seized i you know from the crash in saint george i could not run uphill and so he you know the first 5k is uphill and he had basically closed that down to like five five ten seconds by the time we got uphill and then as soon as we got a little bit you know got on the golf course and started going a little bit downhill everything relaxed and i went from running like a six flat to a five flat and so i was able to open <laughs> that back up and then the same thing happened going up the hill the second time uh he he basically caught me right at the top of the hill and like okay well no big deal i'll, I'll lose him on the downhill and he just sat, sat in my back pocket oh, and uh, yeah he uh he made the mistake of of attacking a little bit too early i think with about 11 miles to go he he went went out and uh passed me and he he put in a surge when he did it you know tried to tried to make it uh, a done deal and and uh yeah it was just a bit too early and and i was able to kind of come up behind him and you know saw him shaking his arms out a little bit so a little moment of weakness and that was my time to go and uh, skipped the next aid station while, while he was reaching for water and, and, uh, yeah, was oh, I love it. Gap him, so, oh man, we love Mark. He's just such a comical, like upbeat guy. So just any, he'll laugh about that also too. Oh yeah. He, we, we chatted after the, after the, afterwards. It, yeah. It was definitely, uh, I guess, a, a, a rookie, yeah, rookie versus veteran kind of yeah. learning experience. Yeah. Similar. I mean, Robbie Decker had just, I was catching him on the uphill. He was slowing down. We were both not going very well, but I still like caught him on the downhill. And the second I caught him and my VMOs were just about to lock up because of all the downhill running, he just puts in a massive surge. And this like, for like the last five miles, I was right there with him. And then he just all of a sudden gets this burst of energy. So I was like very much in Mark's situation, like God 
damn it, these guys just all of a sudden put the move on and you can't go with them. It's just, but I was right there. It's so interesting how sometimes it turns on. Yeah. I mean, I, I thought I had the last slot. Um, you know, I, I, the only, if I went to, if I would have already had a slot for Finland, I wouldn't have raced. Like I was yeah. there just to get a slot and I didn't know Mark already had one. And it's maybe a good thing that I didn't know because I might've let him go if I knew. Oh, wow. I like to, I'd like to think that I went to, but, uh, yeah, you never know. Yeah. Well, we're stoked that you got it. I mean, it's, it's such a, like, that's why the pro awards are fun. Cause some of us will stick around. Like, I think I was like, I got a, a, a a slot being like eighth or ninth once and it was just such a treat to like what nobody showed up my god this is awesome so it's a good time when you can do it and are you stoked on that event that race yeah up in yeah it was until i started looking for housing options today holy it's cats. nothing man nothing's available yeah yeah the one uh, you know the cheapest thing i think on airbnb was like two thousand a night you're gonna have to rent a camper and just sleep in it yeah Maybe yeah, I have to figure out. Yeah. So yeah, the logistics of that will be <laughs> interesting, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I, I enjoyed the 70.3 worlds in St. George last year. And I think Finland's a good course for me. So, um, and I'll, you know, I'll be heading over to Europe anyway. So might as well get two races out of the trip rather than just one do do a Finland and Nice. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks so much for being part of this show. Um, it's always great. You're one of the best in the sport, best overall you know, mindset in terms of professionalism, how you cut straight to the facts, um, no bullshit with you, but and we, we in no drama on social media. Maybe we need to see some drama. Maybe we need yeah, to maybe see I some more of that. Boring, but... No, you're not boring. I think that we got to just ask the right questions. Yeah, that's fair how it enough. Goes. Fair enough. Well, um, I appreciate you having me back on. And, you know, it's been fun seeing how quickly this has grown over the last couple of years. Yeah. If you grind away at it, it'll eventually work out i suspect i mean we're all kind of good at representation of that as athletes and now yeah a business yeah i mean but you have to be doing something right i mean you've seen a lot of teams come and go but uh yours seems to be hanging around so that that shows something's in the right direction because it's it's just it's feeding itself off of my sanity and it's there really go. good. It's getting thin <laughs> <laughs> well thanks matt we'll see you again soon where where are you racing next you said on i head over to it? slovakia to do the challenge championships in two weeks okay well we will obviously do a, when we do our race recaps we'll be talking about that too so we'll either have some good news or some mediocre news yeah yeah right awesome. all right see you. thanks matt yep have a good one bye Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through